Let me also just give a little endorsement to the No Regrets Men's Conference coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, guys, this is a really terrific event. Uh, I have been a part of the No Regrets thing for a number of years now, and uh, it's just a terrific day for men to come together and uh, to, um, to worship together and to learn more uh, about being a, a better husband and father and, and uh, a man of God. And so I would encourage you, come on out to the No Regrets Conference and uh, share this with a friend. Go ahead and sign up yourself and then pass this one along. At various points in my ministry, I have been known to have an object lesson for the children. And uh, it's often taken the form of what I call a sermon in a sack. I bring a paper bag, and uh, in it is some object that I pull out and talk about and have a little lesson for the kids. And what every preacher hates to admit is that sometimes those little object lessons are more effective than the full-blown sermon uh, one of the most memorable ones uh, came in the very early days of the Wausau church plant. We were planting this church meeting in a union hall in Wausau, and uh, we met in the banquet hall of this, this union hall, and uh, there was about a six-inch raised platform up front, and we had the worship team up on this six-inch platform, and the pulpit was up there as well, and uh, I would bring the kids on up, and I'd, I'd sit down on the edge of it and have the kids all around me, and there was this big uh, double door to the right, and kind of kind of angled a little bit behind me, and I had uh, wanted to get across the idea that sometimes what we consider to be an interruption becomes the most significant thing that happens to us that day. So I I planned an interruption in my little children's message. And so I, I had my sack, and I had the kids sitting down, and I, I pulled an apple out of the sack, and I was talking about the apple. Now, how many seeds are in this apple, do you think? You know, and, and then think about a single seed. How many apples might be in a single seed? The trees that could come out of it and all that. So I was just waxing eloquent about this apple when somebody came in through the side door. It's a friend of mine. It's a friend of mine that nobody in the congregation knew. And he was dressed poorly, and he hadn't shaved for a few days. It was before scruff was popular. And uh, he just kind of came in the side door. And I, I was kind of sitting there, you know, facing, you know, this way. And, and the congregation's looking at what's going on over there, and the, the kids start looking. And so finally I turned, and, and my friend just sort of came in a little ways and stood there. And I said, can I help you? And he said, I haven't eaten in a couple of days. Kind of hungry. I said, would you like this apple? He said, that'd be great. And, and so I gave him the apple, and, and he walked back out the door. And then I told the kids, that looked like an interruption, didn't it? But sometimes an interruption becomes the most important thing in your day. What I found out later was that when my friend walked in that side door, one of the men of the church got up to remove him. 
And uh, fortunately, one of my elders suspected what I was up to, and he pulled the first guy back down into his seat. So for those two men, the lesson was particularly memorable. Sometimes what we see as an interruption becomes the most important thing in our day. Well, the value of an object lesson lies in its ability to convey truth. If the object lesson can effectively convey truth, it's a good object lesson. If it doesn't convey truth, it's not worth very much. We're going to look at some Proverbs today. We started a couple of weeks ago a series in Proverbs. We're going to look at, at Proverbs dealing with the home. And I'd like for us to see that the home is a really great object lesson. It's one of God's best object lessons to the world. And if that's the case, what is it that the home is intended to convey to the world? That's what I'd like to focus on today. I believe the book of Proverbs shows us several things that the home can illustrate. And I want to zero in on three of those. The home shows the world what it is to live in truth, to live under authority, and to live with honor. Those three. Uh, If you need a Bible, uh, there are some guys coming down the aisles right now. Uh, Just catch their eye, and they'd be glad to hand you one. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to start in chapter 1. And so that would be page 438 in these Bibles here we've got for you. So get to Proverbs chapter 1, if you would, and uh, we'll jump around a little bit. Because Proverbs is kind of thematic, and you've got to um, follow a theme through various sections of it. So the first thing I'd like us to see is that the home shows the world what it is to live in truth. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 say this, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. A parent's teaching is is a good thing for a child to listen carefully to. Now, we know that a child isn't a blank slate when he or she comes into the world. Anybody who has more than one of them knows that really well. They just come out different from the get-go. So they're they're not a blank slate, but they're not totally pre-programmed either. Someone has to train them. Someone has to shape them. Uh, We talked this morning about making uh, an imprint on the clay while that clay is still soft. Somebody has to do that. And uh, that responsibility lies in the home. Uh, We begin that training in the home with some assumptions. I'm going to give you six assumptions. Uh, You can write them down if you want, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of go quickly through them. Um, The first assumption is this, it matters what we teach. It matters what we teach. There is objective truth. We're living in a culture today that suggests there's really no objective truth to be found. Everything is subjective. Um, If there is no objective truth, well, it really then doesn't matter what you teach. But we believe there is objective truth, and that objective truth is to be found in God's word. 
That leads to the second assumption, and that is that truth is attainable. It is attainable. We can get a hold of it. It is right here for us to handle and understand for ourselves. Sure, there are some topics in Scripture that are less clear than others, um, less central to the gospel message. So we need to give grace in some of those areas that are less clear, but we need to uphold the truth of God's Word and run with the truth that it gives us. That leads to the third assumption, truth is relevant. It's not just stuff we talk about at church on Sunday. This is practical, everyday stuff that we can flesh out throughout the week. One of the things I like best about the book of Proverbs is just how very practical and down-to-earth it is. It talks about real relationships, real-life situations, uh, things that we experience every day. And as we put these things that we read in Proverbs into action, we grow in wisdom. And that leads to the fourth assumption, truth needs to be imparted. People don't just get it on their own. In fact, left to ourselves, we'll end up where people were at the end of the book of Judges. It was one of the lowest points in human history. Last verse in the book of Judges says this, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Total subjectivism, uh, total relativism, and that's a terrible place to be. Truth needs to be taught. It needs to be imparted. And that leads to the fifth assumption. Someone has to take responsibility to teach it. And according to Scripture, that responsibility lies in the home. Deuteronomy 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, addressing parents. First place is our hearts, just as we looked at with the dedication of the children. And then it says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. All of these opportunities to impart what God's word has to say. It's important for parents to be on the same page in that regard as well, to speak with one voice. Proverbs 1.8 again, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Those two are, are really one. They're on the same page. Fa father and mother both saying the same thing to their children, uh, teaching them things that they have agreed upon. One of the things that uh, kids sometimes try to do is play mom against dad, dad against mom. Ever have that happen in your household? Um, when uh, one of our daughters would get an answer from, from me that she didn't want to get, she'd go to her mom, and the question that Tina always asked her was, what did your dad say? Well, dad said no. Well, you need to know, mommy and daddy always say the same thing. That was the standard line. In fact, they're in their 40s now. If you were to say, fill in the blank, Mommy and Daddy always, and they would say, say the same thing. Yeah, we do. So 
be on the same page and say the same thing. Uh, the home provides the framework for all other learning that comes into a child's life because it is in the home where the values are taught. A school can be your partner, but parents are still responsible. The church can be your partner, but the parents are still responsible before God. So the parents give instruction. Verse 8, instruction, teaching. Whether you're teaching them how to study the Bible or how to pray or how to ride a bike, uh, the responsibility with training lies with the parents. And since values are more caught than they are taught, parents also need to give a good example. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7 says, The righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. It's a wonderful two-parter there. The righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. There's a connection between those two halves. A blameless life blesses the next generation. You can't effectively teach one thing if you're living another. One last assumption, and this is the challenge of Proverbs and the reason that it's so full of reminders to listen, and that is the learner has to be open to the truth. And that goes for all of us at all stages of life. Look again at chapter 1, verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Who's the father here? Who wrote Proverbs? King Solomon. Who's the son who would follow him as king? A man named Rehoboam. You can read about Rehoboam in uh, 1 Kings chapter 12. And what you'll find there is he didn't listen to what his father said. And it cost him the kingdom. So in, in recognizing these things, we not only bring our homes under the lordship of Christ, but we serve as sort of an object lesson to the world. We show the world what it is to live in truth. If we live in truth in our home, our homes become object lessons that God can use. God the Father has given us his instruction, the Bible, and in the home, we get an opportunity to pass that along. God the Son has given us an example of a life lived to the glory of God, and in the home, we can live that out. God the Spirit still opens hearts to the truth, and in the home, we can rely on him as we respond to his word and live it out. Live in truth. The home shows the world what it is to live in truth. The home also shows the world what it is to live under authority. We live in truth. We live under authority. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Love requires discipline. It's a key concept in Proverbs. Discipline is, is, is a theme that's repeated often in the book of Proverbs. And there's a good reason why we need it. 
we need to be taught early that we're accountable to someone for our actions. We need to be reminded often of a final reckoning. And that's a subject we hear very little of these days. One of the inescapable facts of life, though, is that we live under authority. We don't rule the universe ourselves. And children need a reminder of that fact, and they need to learn it early, and they need to be reminded of it often. And those reminders come in the form of something called discipline. Discipline teaches people how to live under authority. I want to share some characteristics of discipline according to Proverbs. Four characteristics I'll share. Uh, and the first is that discipline needs to be loving. Discipline isn't given in anger. Chapter 3, verse 12, the Lord disciplines those he loves. It's an act of love. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 24, Jeremiah prays to the Lord, says, Discipline me, Lord, but only in due measure, not in your anger, or you will reduce me to nothing. You ever seen a parent reduce their child to nothing? It's a sad thing to see, and it leaves marks for a lifetime. Discipline needs to be done in love. We discipline our children not to get our frustration out, but to get a lesson across. The loving thing to do is to correct behavior that isn't God-honoring, and it will ultimately be harmful to the child if it's not corrected. So first of all, discipline needs to be loving. Secondly, it needs to be purposeful. And the purpose of it is to drive out folly or foolishness or rebellion. Chapter 22, verse 15, it says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Discipline is to drive out folly. Now, let me just talk about the rod for a minute because the rod shows up again and again and again in the book of Proverbs. And what it has to do with is, is a form of discipline. And really, up until fairly recent times, uh, people used a rod, a switch, you know, a paddle, uh, a hand um, in, in discipline. Uh, it's called corporal punishment. Uh, it... it um, it, it, it makes an impression right away. It's uh, something the child doesn't like. Uh, but you'll see this theme repeated through Proverbs, and whether or not you practice corporal punishment, um, the idea is we need to discipline our children in a purposeful way. Um, you need to impart consequences for misbehavior. Now, that's the idea behind this rod. It's, it's to show that there are consequences for the wrong kind of behavior. And there are consequences that a child can understand, and there are consequences that a child doesn't like. So they come to associate the wrong behavior with consequences that flow from it, and they will avoid wrong behavior, whatever those consequences may be. It'll help the child make a better choice next time. So 
Discipline needs to be loving. It needs to be purposeful. It needs to be instructive as well. Uh, Chapter 29, verse 15 says, A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. A rod, there's that word again, and a reprimand impart wisdom. It's to impart wisdom. It, it needs to be instructive. You want the child to grow in wisdom because of the discipline you impart. So talk about what they did wrong. Talk about why it's wrong. Talk about how it affects the heart of God and how it affects others around them. One final characteristic of discipline, according to Proverbs, is it needs to be protective Protective. Uh, Chapter 23, verses 13 and 14 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. It's kind of a double meaning there. You won't take your child's life physically if you punish them. You'll save your child's life spiritually. So in disciplining our children, we're protecting them from things that are ultimately destructive. So four characteristics of discipline, loving, purposeful, instructive, protective. And if we exercise discipline well in the home, we teach our children and others about how God disciplines us, that his discipline is loving, his discipline is purposeful, his discipline is instructive and protective as well. And our children will be prepared to understand how God disciplines those he loves. If we fail to exercise discipline in the home, we fail to impart one of the most vital lessons the home has to offer, and that is how to live under authority. Benjamin Spock, guy on the left, not the guy on the right. You were looking a little serious. I thought you needed a little little break. Guy on the left. Benjamin Spock... uh, was an American pediatrician who wrote a book called Baby and Child Care. And it challenged the way people raised children and created more child-centered homes. He suggested replacing traditional methods of discipline with affirmation instead. So don't correct a child's misbehavior, just affirm good behavior. Call me a dinosaur, but... I believe some of the disregard for authority that we see in our culture today stems from the flattening of the authority structure in the home. Parents need to parent. Parents need to be in charge. Children need to learn to live under authority. So they can grow up to be adults who understand how to live under authority. I believe parents need to step up to their role in the home as those who demonstrate what it looks like to live under authority in relationship with a loving Heavenly Father who we want to submit to and live for. Our children's concept of God is largely formed around their relationship with us, their parents. Instead of child-centered homes, I believe what we need are more mission-centered homes homes, where parents lead their children to respond to the call of Christ. Our homes can show the world what it is to live under authority. And finally, our homes can show the world what it is to live with honor. 
with honor. Chapter 3, verse 35 says, the wise inherit honor. That's a great picture. The wise inherit honor. Honor gets inherited. It gets passed from one generation to the next. And it's modeled in the home. Gary Smalley uh, was a, a Christian speaker. He's, he's home with the Lord now. But uh, he used to do seminars, and, and I had some of his seminars on tape, and I'd, I'd share them with people. He talked a lot about family. And uh, in one of his seminars, he had an object lesson with a violin. He took a, a violin out, and it didn't look very good. Uh, the strings not, were not all connected. The strings were kind of hanging down. And, and uh, he had someone from the audience come up and hold that violin. He said, are, are you impressed? He goes, I'm not impressed. And he says, take a look. Get, get the light just right so that you can look through that S-shaped thing and see if there's a, anything written on the inside. And on the inside of the violin, it said Stradivarius. And the person holding it gasped. <gasps> You know, like, I'm holding a Stradivarius. And he goes, that response is the response of honor. And our homes can be a place where we give that kind of honor and teach that kind of honor. And Gary Smalley used to do that when one of his kids would walk in the room. He'd go, I can't believe you're in the room with me. Or he'd look up from dinner and go, I can't believe I get to have dinner with you. I can't believe I get to tuck you into bed. And the kid would go, Dad. It was his lighthearted way of saying, you matter. You matter. What happens when we display honor like that in our homes? Sends a message. Sends a message. We hold each other in high honor. So try it out. Gasp when one of your kids walks in the room. See what they do. Showing honor can characterize every relationship in the home. Showing honor toward children we call training. We show them that we believe they're worth investing in. In Proverbs 4, verse 3, it says, I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. And then he taught me and said to me, take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. We show our kids they're worth investing in. We want to set our kids up for success. We train our children because we love them. We want them to succeed with the wisdom God has given us in his word. So we invest in them through training. As we do, we show honor. Showing honor toward parents we call obedience. A wise son or a daughter is one who has taken and applied lessons taught by their parents. Our response as children of parents is important. So boys and girls who are here with us uh, today, uh, I want you to know your response to what your parents are teaching you is important. It will bring them either joy or grief. In chapter 10, verse 1, it says, A wise son brings joy 
to his father. But a foolish son brings grief to his mother. It'll show our parents what we think of them. Chapter 15, verse 20 says, A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish man despises his mother. And our response to our parents can either make or break them. In chapter 19, verse 13, it says, A foolish son is a father's ruin. So our response to our parents is vitally important. God wants us to honor our parents, and we do it through a thing called obedience. One more place where we show honor in our home, that's toward our spouse, and that's called faithfulness. The bond of marriage is held in the highest regard in the book of Proverbs. Take a look at chapter 5, verses 15 to 19 for a very vivid description. It's PG-rated, so I'll leave you to read that on your own. But I will say that infidelity in Proverbs is presented in the darkest of colors. In chapter 6, verse 27 and 28, we're reminded that if you mess with fire, you're going to get burned. It's inevitable. It speaks of infidelity in those terms. It says, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? The answer is a resounding no. And so infidelity is going to get you burned. And we're told in chapter 7, verse 27, that infidelity leads us down a road we don't want to go. Speaking of an adulteress, it says there, her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Showing honor in the home teaches lessons about God. The obedience and faithfulness that are our response to him, the response we owe him. The home is God's object lesson to the world. It can show the world what it means to live in truth, to live under authority, to live with honor. To build a house, you need a building permit. To tear one down, you need a demolition permit. And in the home, we have both. Proverbs 14, verse 1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. We have the capability to build a home that will reflect the character of God to the world. But with those same hands, we can tear down whatever testimony the Lord might have had through our home. When we bring our homes under the wisdom of God's word, we present the world with an object lesson that speaks volumes about the way God deals with his family. The way we live at home can help show others what a relationship with God looks like. And it can be a really winsome witness. Can we as the body of Christ here, covenant together to lead our homes with godly wisdom so that he can use our homes as an object lesson to the world to teach others about himself. Grandparents, parents, kids, all of us, can you tell God today that you want your home to stand for him, to reflect his wisdom, to be an object lesson to the world? You'll find some questions for further thought in your program. Hope you'll be able to make use of them. They're also uh, 
online now. Our app is getting better and better all the time. You'll find sermon notes and follow-up questions online as well. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for the very practical wisdom that is there in your word, especially in the book of Proverbs. I pray, Lord, that we would be attentive to the things your word has to say to us, that we would read them and chew them over and take them in and live them out, that our homes can be the object lesson you would use to show others about your great love for them. Do it through us, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.